Hello and welcome to the Practice Drill Podcast episode 45. This week we talk about the Origin 2 team lineups ahead of the uh, Muslim Clash for Blazers, New South Wales Blues, and we just give our initial thoughts on the lineup. Then Blaze gives us a detailed analysis on the Super Rugby final, and we also congratulate the Golden State Warriors on their fourth championship in eight years. And of course, we finish off with our newly named the Bullet Pass round. Shout out to Sencho as always for providing that killer intro and introducing my good mate Blaze McKee. Blaze, good to be here. It took us a took us a while to get prepared for the podcast today because we just a lot to talk about in the world of sport. Yeah, had some pretty uh, enlivened debates, I'd say. Uh, and we'll get into it, I'm sure, during this podcast, particularly around, obviously, State of Origin this week. Uh, yeah, there's obviously a lot of tension in the room, you know, Queensland versus New South Wales. And as you said, must-win game for, for New South Wales. Yep. Uh, it's going to be uh, a really good game. I think we I think we can all agree on that. But in the last week of sport, I think I know your answer, but uh, that, uh, that T20 in Sri Lanka, you said you were looking forward to it. Uh, but no, in all seriousness, I'm sure it's the Super Rugby final, which we'll get into in a bit. But uh, did you enjoy the game? Yeah, there was, you know, a few finals over the weekend, obviously Super Rugby, but actually my favourite game of rugby over the weekend was over in England, the, the Premiership final, Leicester versus Saracens, was decided with a drop goal in the in the 80th yeah, wow. minute, Freddie Burns, came off the bench as the reserve 10, obviously not expecting to do much, but the Leicester 10 went down in the first 5 or 10 minutes and he had to right. come on for 70 minutes and, yes, yeah, slotted the field goal in about, I think, the 79th minute it was, so... That was a pretty crazy game, and then obviously the the Crusaders got over the Blues in the Super Rugby, which wasn't in, as enjoyable for me. Obviously, not a big fan of the Crusaders, but we'll get into that game in this podcast. Yeah, looking forward to your deep dive on that game, guys. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, we're talking all things NRL, AFL, rugby union, cricket, and NBA. You know, I love my NBAs. I've been very active on that, but having getting into some heated debates with some people about the English cricket team, we all know that they're bit of a joke at times but uh no they are doing well against new zealand but go and follow us at t underscore practice drill on twitter um we're also starting to get things going on instagram same handle so go and follow us there but blaze let's get straight into it and obviously as i said in the introduction we're talking about origin two team selections now new south wales came out with their team on sunday night and quite a few changes. That's been the headline. Um, obviously, similar um, spine in terms of you got your Tedesco, Luai, Cleary. Cook's there, but Appy Corris out the nine. But I'll just run through the team first. So we do have the the changes of Matt Burton and Stephen Crichton in the centers. Tupo To'o still on the wings. Luai and Cleary, as I said, still in the halves. Haas. Happy Coruscant, as I said in the nine, Jake Travojevic to start at prop. Cam Murray and Liam Martin are the starting second rowers, and Isaiah Yo obviously at the lock. But on the bench, we see three new faces on the bench. Junior Paulo still there in the number 16. Damien Cook is the bench utility, which is something we'll get into. Angus Crichton returns, and Sifa Talakai to make his debut at the number 17 jersey and for Queensland um, that trusty trusty fullback in Kalen Ponga 
Selwyn Cobo, Murray Tuolagi to make his origin debut. Holmes and Gagai still in the centres. Munster, Cherry Evans, the halves. Lindsay Collins to start at prop after he had a really good game for the Roosters against uh, Parramatta in a losing effort. Um, Josh Papali'i as well to start. Ben Hunt still the starting hooker. Catewell, Kafusi and Tino to start at lock. The bench, very similar to game one. The only change is Jai Arrow in the number 15 jersey replacing pretty much the injured uh, Reuben Cotter. Um, so that means um, Lindsay Collins gets that start, but Harry Grant, number 14, Carrigan, 16, and Nanai at 17. Um, also, just a few things to name in the extended squad. Obviously, Hines and Suwali, 18, 19. But I think the important ones for Queensland is Reese Walsh in the number 22 jersey, ringing some alarm bells around the the health and, and uh, how physical Kalen Ponga can get. So they've got a backup fullback and Bo Fermor in the squad for the first time. So, Blaze, initially, when that New South Wales team got announced on Sunday, were you pleased? Seven changes, in cho- including the extended squad, which I didn't announce, but quite a few changes. Yeah, it is a lot of changes. Obviously, some of them forced. Obviously, Jack White was pretty outstanding in game one, but I think has COVID, which ruled him out. Yeah. Um, Tony Staggs, I'm not really sure whether that was an injury one. Obviously, he came off in game one. I'm not really sure where he's at. But, um, yeah, the first thing that hits you is the amount of changes. And I guess it probably shows that they weren't very happy with their game one performance. And it maybe does show that they got a few things wrong. The the one name that is left off those inclusions, Josh Adokar. Pretty yeah. surprising, considering arguably since game one, obviously it's only been two or three rounds, he's probably been the form player especially in the outside backs in the whole competition. So that was a bit of a surprising name. I think a lot of people expected him to be back in the squad, but he's not in there. Um, A new centre combination, as you spoke about, Matt Burton, another guy who's done really well this year, especially recently for the Bulldogs, as they've come into form. He's been pretty good. And I am excited to see Stephen Crichton get a starting position. Obviously, he struggled a bit in Game 1, but I do think he was left a bit out to dry in that utility position where it was a bit of a strange one and you didn't really know what type of impact he was going to be able to have. So him starting the game, I think, is going to be really exciting. Yeah, I think you're 100% right about your your take on Stephen Crichton. You know, he was, as a bench utility and as a, you know, natural centre wing fullback kind of player, he was kind of left out to dry and, and he wasn't able to really get into the game like uh, he usually would have to do at Clubland. So I think we'll definitely see a better and and probably a little bit more of an aggressive Stephen Crichton. But I do love the selection of Matt Burton. You know, I, I have seen some people saying, you know, but why he's playing 5'8 for the Bulldogs? But people need to remember, he was the Dalliam center of the year in his rookie year last year with uh, the Panthers. So he can play. There's no doubt about it. Um, so... Big congratulations to him. Um, as I said, you know, the halves stay the same. Appy Coruscant, number nine. What what was your thoughts? Uh, initially, everyone thought Cook, yep, he'll stay at the nine, and, and Coruscant was going to be that utility. But to, to actually get the starting nine, how do, how do you see them using the balance between him and Cookie? Yeah, I think that's probably going to be a similar setup to how Queensland did it, and, and probably a bit more of a traditional use of, I guess, that utility back role, or utility 14 role, sorry. I do really like Api Korosau. To be honest, I'd love to see him playing for the Fiji side this weekend rather than the, the New South Wales side, but that's just, I guess, the Fijian part in me. But it's going to be really interesting to see how those two work together, and that strategy was, 
I guess, really beneficial for Queensland. So it's going to be similar, I guess, for New South Wales, and they're going to be hoping to utilise, I guess, more of Damien Cook's running game and speed off the bench. Do you think it looks a little bit like they're trying to copy the way that Queensland did it since it, it has been successful over the, the last you know couple of years with Harry Grant? Yeah, I think it probably is a bit more of a mimicking there. I think, as we said, with the Stephen Crichton selection, it was probably a bit outside of the box there, and, and they've probably decided maybe we just go a bit more traditional for this game too, and, and you know, I guess, yeah, state of origin, you're probably not going to reinvent the wheel too much. So it probably is a bit of a safer selection, but, yeah, I do like it going into game two. Yeah, it's not your traditional um, choice from... Uh, Freddie Fittler, he does like to, as you said, you know, he does like to actually, you know, invent new ways of playing the game. So very interesting. Jake Travojevic and Angus Crichton get the call to return. What do you make of those two? They haven't been outstanding at Clubland. Obviously, they are somewhat proven on the State of Origin stage, but do you like the those names back in the squad? Yeah, I think, as you say, proven on the State of Origin and probably... A bit more stability in that forward pack you know what you're going to get from them every week and as we say you know they they obviously didn't perform well enough in game one so I guess Freddie Fittler's looking to bring in a bit of experience and I guess a bit more confidence in there obviously those guys have had success in the state of origin arena the last few years so yeah I guess just adding a bit more stability and, and yeah I guess he'll be hoping that they can have a positive impact for New South Wales. And, and lastly, Talakai in the number 17 jersey to make his origin debut. He's obviously, you know, started off the season unbelievably. And it's not like he's dropped off because he hasn't, but he just hasn't had those, you know, double try performances that, that we got accustomed to in the opening, you know, eight rounds of the season. Yeah, this was a bit of an interesting one to me. Obviously, when he was having those outstanding games, people were talking about him to be in the Origin Arena, but then I guess some of that chat's dropped off a little bit. I guess he's going to bring impact. Obviously, off the bench, he's going to be playing reasonably limited minutes, so I guess he can just bring all that energy, aggression, and and real physicality on the field for, I guess, the 20 or 30 minutes that he does get. And now onto the Queensland side, only two changes, both in that's in the 17, of course, um, both due to injury with Coates coming down in game one. So they've they've stuck with who they had in the squad. <clears throat> Sorry, um, Murray Tuolagi, who's been exceptional for the North Queensland Cowboys this year. Um, I think we're almost destined to see some great players from him. Big frame. Um, you know, a really strong ball runner, but also so acrobatic in the corner, which is what we see with a lot of centres, uh, sorry, a lot of wingers these days. Yeah, definitely. And obviously, you know, one game one, so Billy Slater's going to want to keep that side as stable as possible. Obviously, the other option there would have been Corey Oates, who's been in the arena before yeah. and could have probably come in to that side without too much hassle. But obviously, Tuolagi was in there in game one, and I think, you know, Slater just wants to try to keep as much of the group that was there for game one together for game two. No, I think you're right. I think um, Slater labelled it as like a family, what they had, which is great to hear as a Queenslander to see them, you know, so bonded together. But I think what also helped um, Murray is that he will be paired with Valentine Holmes and they're paired together for North Queensland on that left edge. So I think that's something that's helped him out. I would have 
preferred Corey Oates, but I do like that there's that North Queensland connection and that, you know, they're, they're training together week in, week out there. Um, and now they get to do it in origin. You know, they play together every week. So um, there's going to be a really good connection there between those two. Um, halves are the same. Basically, a majority of the forwards are the same, but Jai Arrow returns, which for me is great. You know, we know... Well, I've got a guess from a New South Wales player, probably public enemy number one. Um, you know, I will admit he does do some grubby plays, um, but, you know, he's not the first to ever do it. But, you know, you would like to see some things. I'll always stand by him for that thing with James Tedesco. Um, he did not know he was knocked out. Um, I think that's very clear for everyone to see. Um, if he did, obviously disgusting, but he, but he didn't. Um, but, yeah, he does bring a certain mongrel to the team that I'm really looking forward to see. I just hope that he can control it and it's not turning into penalties, which I've definitely seen um, him make that mistake in the past. Um, and I did say at the start when I was reading out the Queensland teams, Reese Walsh returns to the squad for only his second time. He was obviously in their squad for game two last year after the 50-6 to loss up in Townsville. Um I think this is purely, purely picked because I think Ponga might be carrying a bit of an injury um, after looking back at the replay from the Knights' two-point loss to the Raiders up the milk. Um, it seemed like he grabbed at the shoulder and that's what allowed Hudson Young to kick and gather that ball because there was no fullback sweeping around the back. So, you know, hopefully, and I would say this for both sides, I hope, you know, Pong is fit. I hope, you know, every player is fit and ready to go. And um, But, you know, it is it is a, a good selection on Billy's um, behalf to know if Ponga is unable to, we can bring Reese Walsh back in, who's been playing great. You said just before we went live, yeah, he had a great game um, for the Warriors against the Panthers on the weekend. Um, but the news coming out this morning um, is that Freddie Fitler has sat down um, with... Uh, the referee boss, Jared Maxwell, ahead of, um, uh, you know, the the series um, game two. Um, and apparently he came in with video highlights about plays um, that Queensland came up with. Um, and, uh, yeah, it seems like uh, it's it's been a little bit interesting and I, I'll let you talk about it, but, but what do you think about Fitler talking to the referees and trying to point out areas that Queensland may have um, stuffed up in? Yeah, I think, you know, as we'll get into, I think our opinions differ a bit on this, but for me, it was a bit of a beat up over nothing. I think, you know, obviously as your role as a coach, you're, you're going to try to get as much benefit for your team. And if, if Freddie Fitler saw some things that he, he wasn't happy with he he will obviously he's going to talk to the refs and maybe not complain but get it get an explanation around some of the things and, and what the refs were seeing and and you know if he can sow a few seeds of doubt into the refs mind and, and you never know maybe get a few calls going New South Wales in the next game then I think that's a win for him but I think you'd be silly not to not to talk to the refs about things that you saw going against you and, and yeah, I dare say Billy Slater will be doing the same thing, whether he goes, whether it gets spread into the media or not. Um, yeah, I dare say both coaches would be looking at the game and looking for some areas where they can, yeah, get an edge in. I just don't think that's what Billy Slater's going to be doing. I think he'll be saying, let's focus on everything that we can control, and that's our performances 
both teams know that if something is completely outrageous that they disagree with, they have the captain's challenge there. But besides that, it really is out of their control. They've got to focus on picking the right team. And obviously, Freddie came into game one thinking, I'm going to play the same way that we did at the start of the series, fast-paced, just always on the front foot. And that didn't happen. And to me, it's come out as... It's come across to me as if, you know... He's trying to dictate the way that game two is going to be officiated in terms of let me talk to Maxwell, let me let me show him all this stuff that I have uh, a grievance with. Um, and look, he, 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 he sought out Maxwell after game one saying that he was disappointed with Ashley Klein's refereeing. I think we can all agree and I think we were all expecting, even if you, you listen back to our Origin 1 special, is us saying, you know, Ashley Klein's guaranteed to have a couple blunders. Um, But I do think the two that he's pointed out in the Kalen Ponga cutout ball that led to Dan Gagai's try and Junior Paulo being held in the scrum are both nothing calls. The bunker looked at both of them when reviewing the tries that were scored and they said it was fine. So I don't really understand why he's going to go out and, and ask for an explanation. They looked at it at the time. It's not like it was an off-the-cuff. They said, yep, yeah, play on, like we do see sometimes when you know, a player's knocked the ball on somewhere and it's you know they're, they're allowed to play on. They actually looked at the video of that. So to me, it's coming across as scared for a start. And then secondly, um, it seems like he's trying to dictate the way that the second game will be officiated. And I just don't think that's in the spirit of the contest. You know, let the let the best team win. Don't allow for the coaches to come in and, and dictate the way that the game's going to be played so that they can prepare perfectly um, for for the 80 minutes of football. But I know that you think differently on that. Yeah, I think you've got to get any kind of advantage that you possibly can. And you never know, it might you know, lead to nothing and, and they might have these videos and the refs explain what, what they saw and, and why these plays were actually legal or illegal. Um, but yeah, I think one, it's good for the Blues to have clarity around the decision making. You know, if they feel that some of these calls are wrong, maybe the refs can explain what they saw and, and that way the Blues can enter the game with a bit more clarity and, and a bit more understanding around what they're going to get away with, what they you know, might be allowed to do. But the, the other thing is, yeah, if you can get one or two calls to go your way in a game, that maybe those 50-50 calls, if that little meeting can, can stick in the back of the ref's mind, I think that's a win for New South Wales or, yeah, I think that's a win for the coach. But what do you think? Like, so I, I said that I think there's fear there. And I think not only is it shown here in, you know, complaining, wanting to seek out, you know, the referees to talk about issues but also to make seven changes to your team, even if it is just the squad. Um, you know, he, he is really relying on the combinations of the Panthers, and now he's trying everything to, to change where he where his team goes from here. And, and I just think it's, it's something that we haven't seen from Freddie in his, you know, what, this is fourth, fourth year with the Blues now. Yeah, obviously, I don't know if fear is the right word because I, in my opinion, you would be doing this sort of thing whether you won or lost the game. That's just that's just seven my changes. No, in terms of the refs, the refs meeting. Okay. In terms of the changes, I think that's more of an acknowledgement that that he got the calls wrong in the first place, and maybe that's an indication that you know their game plan might change a little bit. Maybe it's an indication that some of the players didn't play well enough. I, 
I can't see too many of the changes apart from maybe the Coruscant one that's trying to mirror or protect against anything that Queensland did. I think, yeah, maybe it's just more of an indication that they didn't get things right in Game 1 and they're looking to make changes so that they can get it right in Game 2. But obviously that's coming from a, a New South Wales perspective. So, yeah, maybe there there is a bit more behind the scenes. I'm not sure. I think there is. But, you know, we, we really got into it before we, we got on here. But, uh, look, we'll keep it respectful here. And, uh, you know, good luck to both teams. Um, obviously, Queensland more. Um now, Crusaders, they're the 2022 Super Rugby champions after a 21-7 win over the Blues. A real dominant game from the Crusaders for players. You said, not the biggest Crusaders fan, but you've got to appreciate the way they played in this game. Yeah, definitely. I think the Crusaders have a, an ability in the big games to, to, as you say, dominate. They had 57% of the possession, and they really shut the Blues out of the game. And You know, when I spoke to you about the game before, it wasn't the most exciting game in the world, but that's what the Crusaders do because they're such a, a clinical side. They can, you know, play a high-pressure game and force the Blues, who want to play a very up-tempo game, to, to slow down and make a lot of errors. The Blues were forced to make 209 tackles compared to the Crusaders' 124, and, and you know, straight away that stat gives you an indication yeah. that they were on the back foot a lot and they, they were forced to do a lot of defending. So... Yeah, the Crusaders were pretty outstanding again and really clinical in their performance. Well, it looked like the Blues couldn't build any pressure and attack largely due to a little bit of a dysfunctional line-out. 47% success um, compared to 100. Um, you were saying to me just before we got on, you know, you usually see that statistic at about 85% plus. Um, how did they get it so wrong in this game? What did you see them struggle with when it came to lineouts? Yeah, the Crusaders have a pretty, you know, switched-on defensive lineout. They have some really key guys, Sam Whitelock, you know, in there is the obviously all-black captain and, and has played a lot of games. And he put a lot of pressure on the Blues lineout really early in the game. And unfortunately, once they lost their first few, I think they lost a lot of confidence in their lineout and they, they looked a bit unsure of themselves. And then as a result, you know, they just couldn't build any pressure, as you say. And I think for the Blues, you know, their back line is so dominant. But those opportunities to attack off starter plays, you know, your scrum and line out are so essential because obviously you get the get to isolate that seven on seven back line. And they just didn't get any opportunities to do that because they kept losing the line out. So unfortunately, yeah, their dysfunctional line out led to guys like Roger Tuivasa-Shek and Enrico Ioane being completely shut out of the game and yep. yeah they just kept giving the ball back to the crusaders which you can't do well very disappointing um for for rts you know it would have been such a great story to to finally get over and play union and gets picked for the all blacks in their squad and, and it would have been nice to cap that off with a with a super rugby um trophy in his inaugural season um in the competition but for you who was who was the who was the star of the show yeah, I think it's pretty hard to go past Richie Mwanga for the Crusaders. Obviously, that was a huge battle at 10. Richie Mwanga and, and Bowden Barrett are probably playing for a spot in the All Blacks side. And, and I think Richie Mwanga definitely got the win. Obviously, they won the game, but, but he was pretty essential for the Crusaders and just allowed them to keep ticking over the scoreboard. As you say, they were a super clinical side and every time they went down there, they were getting points, whether it yeah. be... You know, a field goal from Mwanga, penalty goals, or scoring tries. They 
he allowed them to just keep getting points every time they went down there and, and before the Blues knew it, they were kind of two or three tries behind. He's a great player, but uh, I, I haven't got this written down here, but who's getting that that uh, that number 10 jersey for the All Blacks out of those two? Yeah, it's funny, actually. Like, Bodie Barrett's probably found some form that he hasn't had in the last few years. And, and for me, I actually thought coming into the game, he might be just ahead of Moanga. But I think Moanga showed why he's probably been the number one 10 the last few years. He's, he's a bit more... You know, a safe option, kicks really well. Um, Barrett likes to run the ball a lot more and, you know, plays the ball a lot more, which is probably indicative of, you know, the Blues side. Obviously, they have some some dangerous outside backs, so Barrett likes to get the ball to them. But, yeah, off the back of this final, I think you'd have to go with that Crusaders core and probably pick Moanga for that first test against the Irish. Well, very excited for the international season, which is just around the corner, but... We'll move on to topic number three, and uh, look, it is a little bit late. We're, we're a few days late, but it's just in time for our podcast. The Golden State Warriors have won the NBA title, their fourth title in the last eight years, and that was last Friday, Australian time. Um, what an effort. You know, we know that the core of that team has, has been around the block a few times. It's now their fourth title, as I said, um, individually, but... The man who we've been waiting to deliver a finals MVP performance in the finals finally did Steph Curry with uh, an average of 31.6 rebounds and 5 assists in the series. Unbelievable to claim his first finals MVP. It was a a really great series in my opinion. You know, we we had that chat after game 3 where Boston were ahead 2-1. And I was extremely nervous, but from there, game four in Boston went to the Warriors, which was a must-win game. You can't go down 3-1. They were able to win on their home floor to put them just a win away. And, and they, after getting, you know, kind of sucker-punched early in the game, I believe they were behind 14-2 to in the first quarter. They were able to withstand that and somehow take the lead at the end of the first quarter. They were so resilient, and uh, I really do believe that they deserve this championship but what what a great series it really was yeah and I think that's the beauty of you know those seven game series that we really don't get anywhere here in Australian sport you you really get those ebbs and flows of momentum as you say the Celtics came out the blocks really hot they had momentum coming from the conference finals and and they looked like they were gonna you know have a bit of an upset but I think over the course of the series you know the the Warriors and their great players were really able to stand up and, and get them over the line. And as you say, Steph Curry, that's probably one accolade that, you know, if he finished his career without a finals MVP, you, you'd probably say it could be a bit incomplete there. So yeah. it's really cool for him to, you know, get that award. And it was also really cool to see those guys back up there with the championship. You can see how much they love playing together and, and you know, how much of a family, I guess, that, that Warriors organisation is. A lot of those guys have you know had their whole career there and and really you know built together as a team yeah you're 100% right they are you know they've had that core that's been there for numerous years probably even a decade now um so really great to see them do that but even though it was a very competitive series if you hadn't have watched any of the games and, and you're reading just the the box score afterwards You'd think otherwise because not a single game was decided by 10 or less points. It seemed to be Warriors had a great third term and, and if they had a, a 
exceptional third term, they would go on to win the game. Otherwise, they'd have a good third, and the Celtics would chase them down in the fourth. Um, many thought that's the way that, that game six was shaping up after another strong third quarter, counted late by Boston. But their main man, Jason Tatum, just couldn't deliver on his home floor, only scoring 13 points. I believe he only attempted one shot uh, in in the second half. Do you think he looked like he was in the deep end a little bit as the as the series progressed, a little bit out of his, um, you know, not trying to say he's not unskilled, but a little bit out of um, his capabilities at the moment? Yeah, obviously he's still a young player and he's going to grow. And I think particularly, obviously... In this series, you're comparing him to guys like Curry and, and Draymond yeah. Green who have been there and have shown an ability to, I guess, be great in those moments. So it is tough when you're directly compared against those guys in a series like this. But yeah, he'll be probably disappointed with his performances late in the series. But as we say, he's young. And you know, I think the Celtics have got a pretty good core there that if they can hold together, hopefully they'll be... I guess, back in these sort of scenarios again before his career's kind of finished. Yeah, I think we've seen them go deep, this this core of the Boston side, but uh, not as deep as they went this year. So, you know, they've got to take the confidence, move on. Um, and yeah, I agree. They, they could be back there next year. Um, but just to finish on, I guess, one of the major talking points coming out of the series is the so-called um, pettiness from the Golden State Warriors. <coughs> Sorry. Um, what what did you make of of that? Did you do you agree that there's pettiness, or did you just find it a, a little bit of good banter? Yeah, I thought it was quite funny. I'm sure if I was a Celtics fan or or a Celtics player, I might be a little bit annoyed. But I think Draymond Green in particular, you know, he loves that sort of attention, or I guess those little battles. So yeah. it wasn't a big surprise to see him, obviously front and center, and obviously with the t-shirt kind of stuff but also press conferences you know he's he's talking so I think for me as a bit of a neutral fan I didn't really mind it and, and I do kind of enjoy that side of the NBA but I can definitely see if you're a Celtics fan or a player that you might see it a bit differently oh 100% no, I think you hit the nail on the head and I think I might be a little bit hypocritical saying this because I know in the past I've slammed um, the Penrith Panthers for doing the same thing but I think the difference is is on what's the culture like in both sports you know in, in the states you got so many eyes on it you want to see that um that banter that back and that back and forth you know golden state everything that they did wasn't out of thin air which is what i think the panthers do differently it's like wait no one tried to attack you so why are you attacking them it's <clears throat> the three main things have been Draymond Green, you know, chance of FU Draymond throughout, you know, the, the three games that they played at the Garden in Boston. Um, so he stole one of the shirts and wrote, you know, for banner number 18, nope, maybe in 2023. Curry, you know, a place in Boston said that his wife couldn't cook. So he wrote, you know, wore a shirt that she can cook, wore it in the locker room and actually bought one of the shirts from that place and was wearing it in the locker room while holding, you know, the finals MVP and the trophy and the cigar and the goggles on going like, come on, oh well. And then Clay, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr. tweeting strength in numbers, which is the the Warriors slogan, really, or their motto. Um, and just, you know, called him a bum and all this kind of stuff, a clown. Um, 
you know, uh, in really Clay Thompson fashion, he's not much of a, a swearer, but he is, a, you know, a little bit strange. I think he said holy cannoli on the stand. So that kind of gives you a, a little bit of an insight into the type of character that uh, that Clay Thompson is. But, you know, that, that that's the difference. That's the difference I see between, you know, the, the Australian um, mocking and, and the American mocking. Um, one is justified, one isn't. Um, but yeah, congratulations to the Golden State Warriors. Um, shout out to Luke Gallen. Um, either way, he was going to be disappointed with this result. Um, you know, doesn't like Boston because, for whatever reason, doesn't like Golden State because they've been so dominant. Um, but the dynasty continues for the time being. Um, but anyway, we'll move on to our final segment, the Bullet Pass Round, um, where you know we just quickly go over a few topics in the sports that we cover that we couldn't um, give a full segment to. As always, Blaze, I'll start. Um, and it's a little bit of a negative note to start on. Um, there's been another incident at Collingwood with two young players caught on video using a little bit of casual uh, misogyny. Um, do you think Collingwood has a bit of a culture problem? We've seen some racism in the past, now this, and, and the drug stuff with Jordan Dugowie. Yeah, I think they definitely do have a culture problem there. I saw you know, a take saying that you know the clubs don't own the players and the players have to take responsibility for their actions, which is also true. But I think, as you say, given the amount of issues that have come out of Collingwood, particularly in the last, I guess, decade, and in particular, I guess, even the last few weeks, that there is a bit of a problem there. And it's disappointing, I guess, even that their young players are obviously, you know, falling into this culture a bit. So, yeah, I think Collingwood do have a lot of work ahead of them. Obviously, they're you know they've got a bit of a reputation among the league you know with their fans in particular yeah. but then obviously their players as well so i don't know they have tried to make some changes there in terms of i guess they've got a new coach now and and they're obviously making some changes to their board so hopefully that has an impact but i think they probably need to do something sooner rather than later to, to kind of smoothen some of these things out i agree yeah, we'll, we'll move over to the West Tigers. Obviously, always some drama going on with the West Tigers. Always. Got a new coach now, and, and Brett Kamali looks set to, to, to drop uh, Luke Brooks back to reserve grade for the first time in his career, and obviously, I think, move Adam Dewey into the halves there. Um, do you think this is the right call, or, or do you think Luke Brooks should be in the halves for the Tigers? No, it's the right call. Um, I know on the weekend, Adam Dewey was coming off the bench and he was returned. Um, th- my only question is, does Adam Dewey have enough games under his belt to be able to, you know, jump straight into um, first grade? Um, I do think it was bound to come a point after the way that Jackson Hastings has played this year that once Adam Dewey was ready to return, um, Luke Brooks's head would be on the chopping block. Um, you know, he's underperformed for years there, hasn't been able to bring them um, through to the through to the finals and not that that's solely his fault because we know that there's a lot going on at the Tigers since we're you know always talking about them or or brushing over the topic of it Um, so it's not solely on him but as the main playmaker over the past you know six plus years um, he needed to have done more and he he just hasn't done that so um, look hopefully for Brooks he can um, work his way back and but it might have to be in another club um but my question to you, Blaze, um, we move on to cricket, which we haven't spoken about much since it's winter, but with all the injuries in the Spinners department for Australia, do you believe Swepson should be brought into partner with Lyon for the Test Series against Sri Lanka? Do you think he's the right guy? 
Yeah, I think Swepson is probably the obvious number one. Obviously, this is you know in reference to to an article on Cricket Australia, which I think spoke about Ashton Agar and then guys like Adam Zampa. I think you can hear you laughing in the background. Yeah, I think Swepson is quite obviously I think the next yeah. choice. So there's always talk around spinners in Australia, and it's probably I guess an indication that our next spinner hasn't really probably developed as we should and when Lyon does eventually retire there might be another bit of a, an issue there as there was when Warren retired but I think given the current group Swepson is the next guy and then I guess they're looking to maybe someone like Tanvir Sanger to hopefully develop and he'll be the guy after that but I think to, to consider anyone else at the moment in my mind a bit ridiculous Yeah. given that I think Swepson's been the best domestic bowler and he's been in that position for a while now. I just want to explain my laughing. It's because how is Schwepson behind Agar and Zampa? I, I like both the players, especially Zampa. But like Zampa's a good like limited over bowler. Obviously, he hasn't had a chance on the big stage uh, in the test arena. But Schwepson has. He was a little bit unlucky. Um, so... I don't understand why it's like these two guys get injured. Now do we look at Swepson? It should be Swepson's first. If he gets injured, look at the other guys. Um, but anyway, uh, what have you got for me for the final question of the show? Yeah, we'll finish with some basketball. And it's been reported, I guess, quite widely now that Kyrie Irving and the Nets contract, contract talks have stalled. So, I mean, in your mind, should should both parties, you know, test the free agent or, or trade waters? Or do you think they should work to a resolution and, and keep... Uh, Kyrie Irving at the Nets well um, yeah I I read about this this morning Um, I think the right thing to do right now is for is for Kyrie Irving to to depart the Nets only because the Nets organization all year you know they they had expectations of make it to the NBA finals and and Kyrie Irving's stance on um, the pandemic really affected them building chemistry throughout the year obviously returned later on the season when um, the restrictions in New York City eased, but um, he the whole time he's been there, he's been a distraction, urging people f- um, to not go to the bubble and, and all of that kind of stuff in 2020. It just hasn't worked, um, which is obviously disappointing for the Nets and, and the money that they've invested in him. Um, but look, I see some of the front runners, um, namely um, the Los Angeles Lakers. I think it'd be great. You know, the Lakers, their thing with Russell Westbrook... Um, didn't work first season. I'm confident that maybe a second season it will. But a Kyrie Irving for Russell Westbrook trade, I think, works for both sides. The Nets get a reliable point guard who play, can play 82 games a season, who you know has experience playing with Kevin Durant and even making it to the NBA Finals. Um, and you know if they can keep the shooters that they've got there around Westbrook, I honestly think that's going to work for him a lot more. Um, and as I said, him and KD, that excites me, um, that reunion. And the same on the other side, Kyrie Irving returns with his championship teammate, LeBron James. And not only has LeBron James won a championship with Kyrie, he's won one with AD and the Lakers organization. So, you know, this championship DNA there within the big three of the Lakers um, and with Brooklyn, they would be getting, you know, a good duo that d- does have a really strong history, and those two together would wreck in the league. So, obviously, they're a lot younger, um, but who knows? Who knows what we could see? So, um, to me, as a basketball fan, 
and I think you can agree, it's exciting. Like the off-season NBA is always exciting. People turning down contract extensions, and and this is another one here. And hopefully, we can see some like big, big uh, trades, and this could be the first one. But that will do us today, guys. No, I love my NBA. I could ramble on about that trade for hours, especially since Russell Westbrook kind of thrown up in there. You know, I'm a big Westbrook fan, Blaze. Um, but in the next week of sport, it's obviously so, so disappointing that there's no rugby league for me on this weekend. Obviously, we got a rep round and a really good rep round. Uh, but you do love, I do love my club footy. Um, but for you, what are you looking forward to in the next week of sport? considering we're also going to be talking about Origin 2 later in the week with our Origin 2 special. Yeah, I think it's hard to go past that Origin on on Sunday night. Obviously, we'll, we'll have a more detailed uh, dive into our predictions and whatnot, I'm sure, later in the week. But, yeah, that Origin on, on Sunday is really exciting. Can't wait. Well, guys, um, go and follow us on Twitter at T underscore practice drill, and the Instagram is going to get up and running shortly once again, and we know uh, people were lapping up the Instagram, so we'll uh, we'll go back to that soon. But, guys, enjoy. Uh, the week of sport will be a little bit quiet, but we'll be back um, later in the week for our Origin 2 special. See ya.